This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. I said, very simply, what is it that makes me happy? And I realized it was the storytelling. It was the people. It's talking to them, understanding who they are, and trying to really dig in and capture their true inside. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Today's guest is Matt Stagliano with Stone Tree Creative, and he's a portrait photographer in Maine. Matt took on a ton of different career routes before he finally felt at home as a photographer. Matt is such a soulful guy with so much to give to others, and it really seems that this part of him helps to provide incredible service to his clients, and during the process, he loves helping people just find their best self. Matt is such a great person to talk to. And it was one of those interviews that felt more like we were having a heart-to-heart chat over a beer and not really recording a podcast. I have a feeling you're going to love listening to him as much as I love talking with him. Please enjoy. Hey, Matt. Welcome back to The Portrait System. Hey, Nikki. Thanks for having me again. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so if you didn't hear episode number 54, it's about going from bronze to silver or gold and how some of our Super Ice Education members achieve that after getting a bunch of bronzes. Matt was on there and I just, I really love chatting with you and I'm so happy now I get to hear your whole story. That's really kind. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited (laughs) to talk to you about it. Sweet. Okay, let's start from the beginning, Matt. First of all, I know that you live in Maine in the United States and you know, I know a little bit about your background. Like, I feel like you've done some really cool jobs in the past prior to being a photographer. So maybe just give us a brief overview of what you used to do and how you transitioned into being a photographer. <laughs> it's a, it's going to be a heck of a story. Uh, <laughs> I've been a bouncer, a bar manager, a DJ, musician, physics teacher. Uh, I've been in biotech, IT, human resources. Oh my gosh. Um, I was a consultant, a television host, a filmmaker, and, and so now I'm a photographer. It's been really wild, uh, wild and and varied the the whole life story, I guess. But um, as it relates to photography, it's just been something that I I feel like I was drawn to do. My entire life, I've kind of wound up in these leadership or management or guide type positions. And I've found that through photography, 
I'm really able to connect with people in a totally different way. And the camera just happens to be the tool. Wow. Okay. All right. So how did you do it? Like, yeah, you know, I mean, did you just pick up a camera or just start selling right away as successfully as you are? Yeah, no. So I never wanted to be a photographer. It was never something that I thought about. It was never something that I had planned to do. But back in, I think, 1999, I was working for a, a small startup out of MIT. And it was um, YouTube before it was YouTube to make it short and understandable. Okay. And then during the dot-com bubble. I did corporate work for about 10 years after that, mergers and acquisitions in IT and HR. And around 2010, we had a big layoff. So me and 15,000 of my friends at the company got laid off on the same day. So, but, you know, at that time I didn't realize it was simultaneously the, the best thing that ever happened to me and the worst thing that ever happened to me, you know, kind of all on the same day. It set me on this path to doing what I'm doing. So at that point, I was also going through a divorce. I was moving to another state. I moved from Massachusetts to Maine. So life was at this really weird moment. It was like it came to a screeching halt. But I got a good severance package. I took a year off and then started working as a as a mergers and acquisitions consultant for a small firm. But I needed a hobby, so I started doing some outdoor sports, a little bit of skeet shooting, that sort of thing. And every time that I would go to the range, I'd bring my camera. It was a Canon T3i for those keeping score at home. But because I started taking all these pictures, I started getting noticed on social media for the type of stuff that I was producing. Now, Mm -hmm. the photos themselves were not good at all. But but I made this, you know, kind of firearms photography thing a niche. And once I realized from the business side of me, hey, here's a niche here. No one else is doing this. I can probably make some money from this. I started my first company, which was called Firelance Media. That was in 2013. So from there, Basically, how I wanted to make my money, my business model was to drive around the country, go to all these different events and take pictures of students and trainers and, you know, products and and all that. And the more I got noticed, students started asking me, hey, can we get some of these pictures? These are cool guy photos. You know, can we get some of these pictures for ourselves? And so I said, absolutely, and I'm going to sell them for the high price of $5 a piece. Oh, so, my God. How did they ever afford it? <laughs> I don't know. You know, they <laughs> saved hard. Um, it makes me sick to my stomach to actually say that now. But, you know, I, it's the same thing that I've heard a lot of people say is you don't know what you don't know, right? Totally. So, we all start from somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was it was great. I was like, wow, I'm a professional photographer. Someone just paid me for my photos, right? But on the flip side, it barely paid for the gas to get me around the right, country. So, right. you know, from there, manufacturers started seeing the work, the portrait work, as well as the product work. H- hang on a second, Matt. I, I just want to make sure. So so skeet shooting. So was that the, the main thing? Like, so people in action or was it like other like sporting sort of? Yeah, it was, you know, the whole shooting sports really is what it comes down to. So okay, it was gotcha. really... People learning to be responsible, you know, events for 
different outfits. It wasn't militia or anything like that. It was more the people having fun, learning how to shoot at the range like you have a normal range in any town in the U.S. Yeah, or like hunt safely or like— Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. cool. So as they learned that, you know, I focused more on the smiles— People Mm -hmm. looking empowered, you know, feeling like, hey, I'm just learning something new. That's what I would always focus on. And the story was always more important than the products or really the event that was going on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, like I said, the manufacturers started taking notice of this. And I got my first real commercial job for some portraits from the NRA of of all places. Wow. So Who would have thought? (laughs) Right. You know, like. Certainly not me. Right. Yeah, it just goes to show there are so many different ways to make money in photography. Like, who knew that, like, sporting events for rifles or whatever would be a place that you could make money doing photography? Yeah. So cool. And I think it's the passion that came through, right? I was just trying to tell stories. I didn't know it at the time, but I was always getting drawn to the portrait side of it. Mm -hmm. So whether it's soccer games or basketball games or the shooting sports or snowboarding or whatever it is, I always looked at it as I'm just shooting another sport and learning how to take better pictures. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like wedding photos. You know, you're always in different conditions outdoors, so you're learning all the functions of your camera, how to best shoot in the moment and not miss a moment. So that was the exciting part of it all, mm-hmm. was it's, being yeah. able to go all the pla- all these places and take pictures of this stuff. So Yeah, and you know what I really love about this is that it sounds like, you know, you were going through hard times. And out of this, mm-hmm. like, adversity, you, you started a hobby and then turned it into yeah. a way to make some money. You know, obviously, at first, you weren't with charging five bucks, but that turned into a commercial gig. And it just seems like there's really something to it. Like, even if you're photographing like kids dance classes, or if you're photographing the basketball game, I feel like there's a way that you can market these portraits to show not only the participants, but if you're photographing kids in sports, the parents, and set up like a really great way to, you know, sell some prints and sell some digital images and and I know people do that already. I know that that is a thing. But gosh, if we could transition that into charging industry standards across the board and, and people can actually make a, you know, a really good living without burning out and charging next to nothing, like, I think there's really something to that. That was a huge part of what I was up against is, one, I didn't know what I didn't know, but all of the other photographers that I talked to, no one would tell me what they were charging. Even just, you know, simply, I'm in this range. Mm -hmm. There was no consistency. Mm -hmm. So what I noticed is that as my stuff got a little bit more popular, other photographers started doing the same thing and then underbidding me for jobs. So it became this race to the bottom. And by 2017, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this industry. It just didn't give me the touchy-feely, you know, good mm-hmm, feelings mm-hmm. that that I had at the beginning. And it had become kind of a drudgery. Yeah. You know, and that's something, like, w- Sue is so, so, and I know you know this, like, a proponent of its community over competition. Like her goal is to raise us all up so that we're not fighting to get to the bottom and who can charge less and and that sort of thing. Like to get us all up to where we should be and to really, you know, have that value in what we do so that we like basically industry standard that this is what everyone expects to pay for photos because that's what we all do. 
you know, as, as opposed to undercutting each other and that sort of thing. Like there's enough clients for all of us, but if we can keep that standard where it should be, then that's just becomes a new expectation. And that was what I tried to voice to that community and bring everybody up and say, hey, you know, we can do much better than this. The difficult part about it, and I'm sure it's the same in a lot of different industries, but people would do a lot for trade. Hey, just to say I got this product from this company, here's 30 photos, right? And if you're doing that and calling yourself a commercial photographer, you're really not doing business right. So what it does is it hurts the rest of the community around you, perhaps in that niche, And it never really gets you to the point where you not only value yourself, but other people value your work as well. So it's a weird little death spiral that you go through when you're starting out that way. And it it took me joining SBE to realize that, wow, I'm not running a business well at all and things really need to change. So how did you start changing things? What was your first step? So in... 2017, like I said, I I got tired of the old industry. I went through this absolutely devastating breakup. I was lost. I had zero self-confidence, a failing business, no money in my bank account, no plan, a broken heart, right? I was a mess. Hey, look, it's a few years later and I'm a mess again, right? And so I'm going through this reinvention. And I, I sat and I said, I love photography, but I don't know what I want to do. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what my voice is. So I said, very simply, what is it that makes me happy? And I realized it was the storytelling. It was the people. It's talking to them, understanding who they are, and trying to really dig in and capture their true insides. And I think I, you know, I referred to this on the other podcast where there's always a lot going on behind the scenes that we never really see in people. Well, I wanted to capture that. I wanted to dig in and talk to people and connect. And I started out and said, all right, I'm going to be a portrait photographer. I think this is really what I'm meant to do with a camera. Yeah. So I was in my little town. So my town is 2000 people total. You talk small towns, Bethel, mm-hmm. Maine is a very small town. So I'm with you. Mine's thir- mine's 3,300. <laughs> yeah, high five, right? I'm close. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in this little shop. It's an old mechanics garage, and I was talking to the owner, and she was looking to downsize, and she said, "You know, what would you do if you this building was yours?" I'm like, "I'd turn it into a photo studio. There's great light over here." And talking like, you know, I'd been watching like the the studio tours that Sue did with a bunch of other photographers, and I w- I'd watch that Andrew Knowles studio tour over mm-hmm. and over and over. And I said, I'm going to have a studio like Andrew someday. So we were joking about that, and one thing leads to another. And two months later, I have half the building and a photo studio, and that was the beginning of Stone Tree Creative, and that was very late 2017, early 2018. Wow. Is that the studio that you're in today? It is, yeah. So I actually just took over the entire building. She downsized even more. And I took over the whole building, so I doubled my space now. And it's, uh, I think, just shy of 2,000 square feet. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Okay, so fast forward a little bit. Tell us right now, Matt, what your business is like. What do you focus on mostly? And just give us a kind of a snapshot there. 
Yep, I started out trying to do glamour because that's what I thought I wanted to do, but I've really found that I'm doing this almost natural type glamour is the, the best way that I can put it. It's personal branding with an edge, right? I always think that when I connect to people that I really understand, am I going to be shooting glamour? Am I going to be shooting personal branding? It's more about the connection and building that trust with someone. And then we decide from there really how we're going to shoot them. So a lot of it is that mix between personal branding, small business, you know, entrepreneur type stuff, all the way up through the the women that come in and want to shoot a lot of glamour. I'm probably shooting three to four times a month at this point, which is not bad for my area. It's certainly not the volume I want, but three to four times a month, but my average sale is just shy of $3,000. So I'm pretty happy with the sales average. That is incredible. Very, very cool. I really love your work. Every portrait is very powerful. I don't know if it's like the connection that you have Mm. and the expression that you get from people. I, I want to say that that's what it is. That's what really draws me in is that expression and connection. But it's like if I really wanted a powerful portrait of myself that just like exuded confidence, I feel like that you would be the perfect photographer for that. Yeah, thanks. You know, I a lot of my journey has been looking inwards in myself, right? And Mm -hmm. looking at all my own demons and understanding myself and becoming self-aware. And being able to have that insight helps me connect with people no matter what they're going through. And I think people gravitate towards me as a photographer because they have that thing inside them that's either not understood or they're afraid to put it out there. And that there's this innate trust that I'm going to help them deliver on what it is they want to see in themselves. A lot of times I get folks come to me for personal branding that are like, I don't, I don't know how you do it, but you get this, this badass side of people. And, you know, I take it as a huge compliment because mm-hmm. I never set out to do that. It's just you build such a connection with the client when you're authentic and you listen to them. Then it's easier for them to show you who they really are. And that's yeah, yeah. that's where the the beauty of this entire industry comes from. Yeah. You know, I can run out into a field and get a great sunset and, you know, get some happy, you know, couple or people. That's not my thing. There's plenty of people that do gorgeous work like that. Right. I tend to go towards the the deeper parts of someone's, you know, innermost thoughts, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that comes across for sure. Yeah, you know, some people have called it dark. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily I don't dark. I think I'd call it dark. There's a gravity to it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you use darker backdrops, I think, but it doesn't yeah. feel like dark to me. It more more so feels confident. But I mean, I'm assuming that in this time period your confidence has yeah. has grown. I'm hoping. I'm wondering because to go from $5 to $4,000. Like, I'd love to hear that process. How did you do that? Because I know there's probably a lot of people out there listening going, what? Like, I want to get there. Yeah. So so maybe right. just share with us a little bit of how that transition happened. And, you know, it'll, it'll sound like a sales pitch because I'm on this podcast, but it's really not. It's <laughs> when I joined Sue and started listening to her, truly listening, not just just saying, oh, I need to create a PDF, but truly listening about self-value and self-worth that I realized 
you know, there's so much more to running a business and it all starts with you. And mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with spreadsheets or the tools that you use or anything like that. It's your own self-confidence, your own self-value. So, you know, in 2018, I think I mentioned on the previous podcast, I had met Parker Fister and I went to Iceland. Well, the thing that a lot of people don't know is that I never intended to come back from Iceland. I was in such a dark place. Wow. But that week really helped me find my voice. And I realized that, you know, no matter how dark things get, that there's beauty in everything. And I can use that tool to help change other people's lives. And, you know, it might sound hyperbolic, but through changing their lives, change the world. Right. So I really focused on that. So how do you go from $5 to $4,000? Believe in yourself. Don't ever think that you're worth less than you are because you are so much more than what you believe. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. when I started with Stone Tree, I just took Sue's pricing model. I didn't know anything. I said, hey, national average, let's start with packages at $13.50 and go up from there. And that's what I did. And I said, well, if, you know, she's saying it'll work, it'll work. So over the years, I've slowly bumped my packages up. And during COVID, I actually changed my package pricing, I think, three times until I felt really comfortable with the pricing. And once I felt really comfortable with the pricing, I just started to sell my middle and upper packages over and over and over. So, yeah, yeah, it just, it, it started with that, inner work and just believing in yourself. It's so true. It's so true. It's it's remarkable when you shift the energy towards what you deserve and and how you value yourself and what you do. And, and just as, as an example, there's someone named Sh- Chanel Majors and she is an SBE member. And I needed a, a studio to photograph in when I was in North Carolina for this, this um, corporate gig I was doing. And she was so gracious to let me run her studio. And I got to know her and I just liked her so much and and we were at lunch and and let me just preface this she posted this in our Facebook group it, you know and put it out there so I know she's okay with me telling the story. She was like, you know, it's not like I'm like trying to make six figures or anything and it just rolled off her tongue and I was like, "What? Wait a minute, why? Why why <laughs> wouldn't you want to make six figures?" I was just like so confused and she kind of stopped and looked at me and was like, "I don't I don't know." And I was like, "Chanel, you are worthy of six figures. You deserve six figures. And why shouldn't you make six figures? Like, and let's be real, everything that we bring it into our studio, even if we're bringing in six figures, that doesn't all go in our pocket. So you need to make more than six figures, you know? And and anyway, she just kind of was like, wow. And she posted in the Facebook group and she told me later that it was this sh- shift kind of that she needed to really start pushing forward and understanding that it's almost like she had this sort of idea that it wasn't okay to want to be successful, that that she didn't deserve it, or that it wasn't. It was like a bad thing to want six figures. Like, no, that's not a bad thing. You put your time, your soul, your energy into this. You have this studio that you're barely paying for with the couple shoots that she was doing. I'm like, and as soon as she made that shift, I can see her moving forward. Like, I can just see. It's just it's so priceless when you can you can start to understand that you deserve it. You're worthy of it and what you do and your time is valuable. It's amazing. And money blocks are you know there's there are these imperceptible things and 
they're so powerful in driving you, especially if you're trying to run your own business, right? So mm-hmm. for me, money blocks and shame around money and not feeling good enough to receive it, you know, I may have told you this story before, maybe I posted it in the in the group about when I broke through that money block and then things really started to open up for me. I could trace back to the exact moment when I was a kid when my money blocks started. So real quick, my my grandparents used to come over every Friday and they'd hang out with my parents. And so every now and again, my grandfather would give me some coins in his pocket or maybe a dollar or two. And I was probably, I don't know, five or six at this point. And so one day they were leaving and uh, I ran up to him and I said, hey, Grampy, can I have some money? And he kind of looked at me, laughed a little bit and gave me some coins in his pocket and I had them in my hand. They took off. And my mom came rushing over to me and said, you don't ever ask anybody for money. She made me open my hand, took the money away from me and, you know, basically told me to go to my room. And Mm -hmm. so from that Mm -hmm. point on, there was this subconscious thought in my head that you never ask anybody for money. I don't deserve to keep whatever I do get. And so when I heard you and Sue discussing money blocks last year, it stopped me in my tracks. And this memory that I hadn't thought about in 42 years came flooding back. The second that I recognized that, it was like someone took a huge burden off my shoulders. And at that point, I was just open to receiving money and the business took off. It really did. Gosh, it can be something... Using the word small is not really the, the way to describe right. it, but a memory, just a, a snapshot in time that mm-hmm. that just ingrained this into you, that you shouldn't receive money. Even though I'm sure your mother did not mean to, like, make you have money shame for the rest of your life, you know? Absolutely not. You know, of course not. Just as a parent, you're always doing the best, the best you can at, at every moment. However, those things really stick with you. Like growing up, and I may have mentioned this before on this podcast, but, you know, I grew up feeling my brother was the smart one. He was going to be the successful <laughs> one. And I was just sort of like, you know, the one who just had a lot of friends and snuck out at night. You know what I mean? Like, right. I never felt like I was the successful one that wasn't supposed to be me. So I entered the workforce as like, I'm going to be a social worker. And, you know, it just never occurred to me that I could be the one that could make money. It just, it never even, I I didn't deserve it. That was my brother. That was like other people. That wasn't me. Totally. And, you know, from my corporate days, I worked in mergers and acquisitions, right? So I'm watching these companies, especially in Silicon Valley in the heyday, I'm watching these companies of 10, 12 people get get purchased for $800 million. And there's 22-year-olds with, you know, tens of millions of dollars in their pocket. And I'm sitting there going, I will never have anything like that. I don't deserve that. I'm not smart enough. I just help people get to where they want to go. You know, you, you reinforce all these negative stories over and over and over, and you wear these pathways in your brain so well that you believe them. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to change it, but it's totally changeable. I reinvent myself all the time. I start businesses now like, you know, it's going out of style. So Oh, same, same. I, <laughs> yeah, I've got more ideas than time, so uh, yeah, yeah. we should we should talk about that sometime. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to is changing your story, 
Yeah. You know, and Sue has talked a lot about that too. When when people are like, "Oh, but when I was little, this happened and this happened," and "Oh, but my parents this," and she's like, mm-hmm. "Okay, and how are you going to change your story? Because that's no longer your story anymore. Like, what's yeah. your new story?" And I love that. Like, I love the idea that the world is our oyster. I know that sounds super cheesy and cliche, but it is. Like, we get to do and be whomever we want. We can do whatever we want, and we have that power. And if we can let go and just heal of those things that are keeping us from doing that, it is amazing what we can accomplish. It's so amazing. You know, there's a lot of different methods out there. I agree with you 100%. And one of the things that really stuck to me when I was doing some reading, and I'm sure there's a million different versions of this, but there's these four A's, right? So you've got acknowledgement, acceptance, appreciation. And then the fourth one for me is allowing things to happen. So whenever I'm in a really bad place, I just acknowledge what's going on. I appreciate the fact that I'm here to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You know, I allow it to happen and I lean into it. And then, you know, from there, I can say, all right, this is just a part of me. It doesn't define me. It's a part of me. I can see it. I'm aware of it. I can compartmentalize it, but it doesn't define me and and tell me who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I can change that story at any point in time. And who's to say that I'm not going to write a story where I'm a multimillionaire photographer known all over the world, right? Who's to tell me that I can't do that? No one, no Mm -hmm. one but Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And why would I do that to myself? Yeah, totally, totally. I have just one more memory I want to share really quick is is I remember telling my dad, I was just starting grad school. I was living with my boyfriend and I was like, I really want to buy a house. I just kind of said it. My dad's like, you can't do that. <laughs> and I remember being like, Ugh, well, that wasn't like, what a shitty thing to say, dad. Like, just tell me I can't do that, you know? And in mm-hmm. his head, I know he's thinking like, I know you, you have credit card debt. You have no savings. Like, how do you think you're going to buy a house? But the way he said it was just like, you can't do that. And I got so mad at him. And, you know, now I wish he was alive now because I just bought my second apartment building and we have two houses. And I want to be like, so dad, remember when you told me I couldn't? But for so long, (laughs) no, I mean, he meant well. He truly did. But for so long, I believed that. Like, he's right. I can't do that. Like, I'm not the successful one. I am not the one, even though I was in grad school, whatever, it just, it's still like, it was ingrained in me that I was not that person that was going to have these things. You know, it's amazing what, and and again, I'm not blaming any parents out there. There's There's nothing like that. But I realize all the crummy software that my parents downloaded onto my pristine little hard drive in my head about money, right? Mm-hmm. Both my parents mm-hmm. were teachers. We didn't have a whole lot growing up. And so I inherited all their views on the fact that you'll never be rich. You'll never succeed. Everything centers around money and, you know, you're not never going to have enough. So mm-hmm. even when I was, you know, through my corporate career doing really, really well for myself, it was always, hey, mom, dad, I got a raise or I got a promotion. They said, well, how much money are you making now? And you better put some of that away because it's not going to last. Scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. So now, because I've seen this you know, from them and from so many other people, it's so easy to recognize. And with that comes a certain amount of empathy, 
and compassion for the person that I'm talking to because you see the struggle that they have with whether it's money or self-confidence or looks or whatever it is. It's so apparent when you see that in someone else. And I think for me, being able to say that I've gone through all of this stuff, it helps me connect with my clients at a, at a different level, mm-hmm. right? Because I've accepted my flaws. I know what they are, right? I'm not saying they don't rear up from time to time. Sure, but same. There's never a point where I don't have faith in myself that I am going to reach my goals. It's just a matter of time. Might not happen in the time frame that I want, but I am going to get there no matter what. And I think, you know, being able to express that to people and be open and vulnerable and authentic, it helps them see that they're not going to stay in that same place for themselves. They can do whatever they want. So, Again, I come back to the point that I think my purpose was to guide people there, not to tell them what to do or not to fix things for them, but guide them to thinking about themselves in a much better way than they do now. Yeah, yeah. We really can do that as portrait photographers. Mm-hmm. When people Absolutely. see themselves in that different light and they look at the photo and they think, wow, like, and especially with your photos, when they look like powerful or just beautiful or, you know, it it can, it just means so much to them. It truly, truly does. You know, I had a client last year. She's a person that I had known through the previous industry. And we just kind of kept being friends on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. And she went through a horrible, horrible relationship. She lives out in the, in the Portland, Oregon area. And so she contacted me and she said, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on my 30th birthday I want to get some pictures that make me feel good about me. I'm at rock bottom, and I need to remind myself of who I can be. Mm-hmm. So she flew out from Oregon to Maine to do a session. And while we're going through this, I watched her become the woman that she's supposed to be, right? She came in super shy, like a lot of clients do. They're, they're nervous. But by the end, she was so empowered and so you know, feeling good about who she is and the new life that she's starting and that no one's going to hold her back. Being able to be given the gift of watching that happen just makes everything we do worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And, totally. you know, as photographers, we have this, this power when, <laughs> when used for good and not for evil. We, we've got this power to help people transform how they see themselves top to bottom. And there's really no better way to describe that than, you know, being blessed to be able to do something like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so speaking of transforming, I still want to talk a little bit more about transforming your pricing. You said you sure. raised it a, your pricing a couple times and yeah. recently. And I'm curious, how did you do that? Because people will ask like, oh my gosh, but if I'm going to raise my prices, how do I tell my past clients? And how do I, how do, I do that without people freaking out? So I'm curious, how did you do that? How did you raise your prices? So one of the big things you got to remember is your future clients don't know what your past clients paid. Absolutely. So, you know, you can raise your prices anytime you want, and you don't have to justify it to anybody. And it's what you need to run your business. So change the prices. If they're too low and you're not making what you need to make, raise your prices. Know your value. I'm not saying, you know, I just got my first camera and I'm going to charge 10 grand a photo, but right, right. understand that you can raise your prices. So for me, 
I kept coming back to, you know, when Sue talks about be comfortable with your pricing, right? And I learned this in the in the 12 week is, you know, I need to internalize how I feel about my own pricing, know that it's valuable, and come to peace with that. When I'm comfortable with my own pricing, it's easy to sell because I believe in it and I believe in myself. So I had come up with some packages. I sell images now for $275 a piece. I have a session fee of $350. And I came up with packages that I felt, from my client's perspective, they wanted more of of these. So I started originally with like 6, 10, and 15 image packages. I never felt in my world that that was enough. I wanted to give more. So I have 8, 15, and 25 image packages now. And then anything over 25 images, you know, you buy in batches of 10. And what I found was when I created these packages, I felt really good about selling them. I said, you know what? There's a ton of value here. And of course, the more photos you buy, the cheaper they become. But it was something that the second I felt really good and and believed in my own pricing, that I didn't find myself stumbling for words or, oh, God, I hope they buy this photo, you know, this package because I really need the money, right? It's that stink that Sue talks about, right? Getting that stink off of you. So, yeah, once I didn't feel desperate anymore, and it had nothing to do with how much money I had in my bank account, it had to do with how I felt about my own pricing and that I'm giving you such an amazing value. This You're getting off cheap for this. You know, that's the way that I felt about it. And so once I raised my prices the first time, eh, I didn't feel that great about it. I kept playing with the numbers, playing with the numbers, and then uh, settled on what I have right now. Nice, nice. Okay, and then how do you do your sales sessions? Sure. So always starting with, you know, the consultation and then the shoot. At every step of the way, I'm always talking, especially during the consultation, I hide nothing. Here's my prices. Here's what I do. But that's always towards the end. I've spent the prior hour and a half or two hours talking to them in the consultation, really connecting with them. The shoot, you know, I make sure that they're excited all day. I make sure that they're taking care of all day, their favorite music, their favorite food, you know, whatever they need during the day. So when it comes time for the reveal, at that point, I've already been in touch with them a few times. Ah, oh, these images are coming out so great. I can't wait for you to see them. When I was doing printed reveals, that was the first time they were seeing things. Now what I'm doing is digital reveals over Zoom, mm-hmm. and I show them the first round where I'm not doing full retouching like I would need to do for a printed reveal, I'm showing them about a 70% because, you know, doing it over Zoom, the quality's not going to be perfect anyway. So I tell them, I say, hey, listen, I'm going to show you these photos, you know, let's call it 40 or 50 photos. I want you to choose your favorites, the ones that you love, so that I can then go back and finish touching those up the way that you want them. So what they get is that emotional impact of seeing themselves like they've never seen themselves and then also getting their input as to how to improve it for them so that they absolutely fall in love with the photos. Right. I love that. Yeah. It's really worked well rather than saying, here's the images. This is all you get. Right. Right. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's like one of the, I guess one of the silver linings of doing things on Zoom now is like, oh yeah, I don't have to retouch them all perfectly because it's just online. <laughs> like, you know, saves you some time and... Absolutely saves you some time. Right, you can't get lazy from it, right? And just be like, hey, I, I changed the exposure. We're ready for the reveal, right? So I always do like a base level skin retouching, you know, enough to give them an understanding of, of what things are going to look like. But I don't get into you know, poor level dodging and burning on a face for just a Zoom reveal. I wait until they choose the images that they want, and then I just, you know, heavily retouch those. Not heavily retouch them, but I put the time and effort into retouching on those. Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. So you do all of your retouching yourself. Yeah, I'm a one-man shop, so I don't outsource anything. I do everything in-house, and you know, I fell in love with the process of retouching. I It's like Zen meditation for me. Oh, really? Oh, God, yeah, for me, it's I know, like, when I know am I going to be done? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be a sore spot with you. Yeah, um, Pratik's course, it taught me how to look at retouching in a whole different way, and I just, I become obsessed with it. So it's a, it's another journey. I just love doing it. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I've heard that Pratik's course, people have said that, that, that yeah. it really, truly has helped them to start to like it more, for sure. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, don't get me wrong, I will I will outsource at some point, right? Um, my hope is that the volume becomes so much that I can't keep up with it and that I have to outsource yeah. it. Yeah, totally, totally. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I mean, you've really, really come so far. Is this all you do now for, not all you do, but you know what I mean? Do you have any other jobs at this point or is this, are you full-time? So I still write for some magazines. I do articles. I do some reviews. I also am a videographer, so I do a lot of small business commercial videos. So that's a part of the side business where I'll do product videos or interview with B-roll or, you know, small businesses. I'm not talking Nike or Adidas or anything. It's just local businesses, you know, stuff here in New England. Okay, gotcha. Well, that's cool. So you have like two creative outlets. That's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, I, I started a <laughs> another business as well because I, you know, have more more ideas than time. And I have a handcrafted jewelry business as well so that I started Oh, my gosh, wow. Yeah. You're like ultra yeah. creative. <laughs> and I'm telling you, once you remove those blocks, you know, it starts to flood. So Right, no kidding, no kidding. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing everything with me. I do have a couple more questions for you that I always ask at the end of each episode. I feel like we could talk all day. I feel like you're one of those guys that I could just like, you know, we could just talk about life I'd for love hours. To. Keep it going. <laughs> sure. Keep it going. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Number one, what is something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? So thought about this one a lot. And, you know, quite honestly, it's laughter. Mm, it, mm-hmm. It's the trust. It's the, you know, breaking down the walls. And you know what? It's just really fun to laugh. So I find that being able to do that with clients at whatever level just helps everything else go well. And at that point, it doesn't matter what you have in your hand or what lights you're using. To me, I think once you get people relaxed enough to laugh, then everything else is going to go well. So yeah. I love that answer. Yeah, I can't, I can't live without that. Yeah. yeah, laughter, I know, so cliche, but laughter is the best medicine, and it certainly is. Mm-hmm. Okay, number two, how do you spend your time when you're not working? So mainly outdoors, right? Hiking, uh, mountain biking, snowboarding, right? Throwing axes, all the stuff that Maine people do. Um, <laughs> and then I also, you know, play guitar and annoy my dog with my singing. So that's generally what I do in my nice. off time. That's awesome. Very cool. Okay, number three, what is your favorite inspirational quote? Mm. 
So I have two, and one that I can attribute and one that I can't. But the first one that, that gets me out of bed every single morning, and I don't know if it was Sue that said this or not, but my favorite motto, what gets me out of bed every day, is what you don't change, you choose. And it applies mm-hmm. to everything. If there's not something that you like in your life, change it. Otherwise, you're choosing, you're choosing to continue it. on that path. Right, yep. right. And then the other the other quote was, we don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. And that's by Anais Nin. And it's just, it's a great way to keep things in perspective. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at something, you know, is it is it through the lens of how you're thinking or is it through the lens of reality? Who knows? Yeah. And both of those quotes are things that give you the power to make the change. They, they keep you in control. And, mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah, that's great. All right. Number four, what would you say to people who are just getting started? Ah, there's so much. Um, <laughs> fail often, fail spectacularly, and learn from it because that's the path to growth. That's how you're really going to find your voice. That's how you're really going to find your place as a photographer. But if you just sit back and say, I'm afraid to do this because I might fail, then you're going to be stuck where you are. So just fail forward over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. It's true too. I mean, I hate to to say that, oh, like I failed or whatever, but if it's like there's always a lesson in it when you Mm -hmm. do fail to make you grow and and move forward and just to be better. You know, there's always something that comes from it. There's always the chance to reinvent. Like I said earlier, you know, reinvention is what makes life awesome. Mm-hmm. So if you fail, figure out how to do it differently. Reinvent yourself a different way. You have yeah. total power to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Last question. Where can people find you, Matt, online? So a um, couple of places. It's at Stone Tree Creative on most of the social platforms. StoneTreeCreative.com is the website. And then Firelance Media, same thing, at Firelance Media or FirelanceMedia.com for my old work. And then um, the jewelry business, since I'll plug that, sure. is uh, CyanideBunker, all one word, dot com. And it's just, it's cool, handcrafted, un-PC type of jewelry. Yeah, I can't so wait to check it fun. out. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Matt. I really, really enjoy talking with you and having you on and... Yeah, hopefully we'll do this again someday, in person, hopefully. (laughs) Nikki, it would be my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right, you take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review, either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35, and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love, and there are posing downloads, lighting downloads, I mean, truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com. It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. 
Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and eight frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.